says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me live in the wake of our second trial in the 2023 preseason is my good mate, 60s. We're going to talk all things Parramatta Reels in the second trial, mate. A lot happened, a lot of good, some bad as well in terms of uh, both you know on-field results and injuries. Let's dive into it. But first, you're being a busy man today. How are you holding up? Uh, yeah, yeah, not too bad, mate. It's uh, yeah, been a bit chaotic. <laughs> yeah, good way to sum it up. With yep. um, Yoko uh, celebrating her fortieth birthday, so it's yeah, yeah, it's been a been a <laughs> ripper of a ripper of a day, a challenging day, a bit of fun, and uh, if there ends up being anything chaotic that goes on during <laughs> the, the background, podcast, you know, you know why? In background noise or someone coming in charge and to deliberately disrupt what's happening with us, then you'll know why, yes. Um, now, I'm not going to get carried away with a, a trial win. Look, yes, we saw the Premiers in action tonight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like we spoke about in our preview yesterday, you know, the, there is only so much you can take from a trial, win or lose. Um, obviously, you want to be in the winner's column because of the momentum and confidence that it helps build. But for a team like the Eels, who know how good they are, they wouldn't have been too worried about a result either way. The big thing we said was to get out without injuries, and unfortunately there was at least one injury in this game, which we'll get to shortly. Let's start with the scoreline because the Eels were comfortable winners, 60s, 36 to Newcastle's 14. For the Novocastrians, Dom Young opened the scoring in the fourth minute. Brabham Best and Greg Marzu following it up. Jackson Hastings just one from three off the tee. Uh, with the Newcastle Knights playing their starters very deep into this game. I think to about the 70th minute, it felt like they had the vast majority of their starters on. Uh, in uh, reply, Parramatta with their 36 points, while Matt Dury opened the scoring. Quinton Gufferson, Sean Russell, Dylan Brown, Jack Mercy, Jack Murchie, sorry, uh, Russell bagging a double in the 58th minute, followed by Isaac Lumi Lumi crashing over in the 78th minute to seal the deal. Moses, four from seven in very tough conditions because they had that gale force wind uh, going down one way. On the field, Eels did lead 22-10 at half time, so comfortable leaders when both teams were absolutely at full strength. In terms of the team stats, 60s, Knights actually had the edge of possession, 52 to Parramatta's 48%. Uh, unsurprisingly, just ahead in time of possession, too, 28 minutes to Parramatta's 26.5. Knights uh, were pretty sold in their completion rates, 79%, 31-39, but Parramatta in the elite territory, 91%, 34-37. Ultra-disciplined, absolute chalk and cheese, to what we saw last week against the Penrith Panthers. Uh, Eels ahead on runs, but not run meters. That was split between the two teams pretty evenly. Eels slightly ahead on post-contact. Both teams making six line breaks apiece. Newcastle breaking slightly more tackles, 33 to Parramatta's 27, but the Eels being more effective on a set-for-set basis. Uh, Unsurprisingly, given what we know about the Parramatta Eels, their opposition comfortably faster in the play to ball speed, 3.5 seconds to 3.8. Eels did offload more than the Knights, 12 to to 8, sorry, uh, but far from the prolific amount of offloads we're sort of used to with the Parramatta Eels. And then after that, uh, Eels pretty effective at diffusing the ball, diffusing the attacking kick, sorry, 86% to the Newcastle's 67%. Both teams probably subpar when it comes to defense. Newcastle a tick under 88% effective tackle rate. Parramatta a tick under 86%. Obviously, there's a bit of work to be done there for both sides. 
And then in terms of the negative plays, well, we knew the Parramatta's completion rate was top-notch, so only four errors charged to them. And given that they only had three incomplete sets, one of those errors must have been a defensive error, or a batted ball, I can't remember. Uh, or maybe it was a loomy-loomy uh, fail to clean up the kick at the end. That might have been it because we didn't fully possess the ball there. Uh, just a one-ruck infringement and three penalties and a one inside ten for the Eels conceded, mate. Mate, it's amazing how in this game of rugby league that if you get the simple things done correctly that you don't have to do a lot outside of that. Because if you're looking at those high completion rates, selective offloads, because we still didn't quite get up to the number of offloads that we averaged last year. There was about a dozen offloads in this game. There was only seven last week. So obviously we threw a little bit more. I liked our shapes a lot more. I thought we were running off our ball players much better. Cleaner. Yeah, much, much crisper. So... If you, you, you're talking about completions, you're talking about selective offloads, you're talking about the players running onto the ball rather than running into each other because we were seeing that last week. Uh, players were just getting lines wrong. Uh, it looked disorganised. It looked the opposite of that tonight. So I'm not like... Well, like you, I'm not going to get carried away with the win. I'll tell you what... Here's my overall take. I just enjoyed watching the footy tonight. Yeah. they The team gave me something to cheer about. They showed me a little bit more of what they've been training for during the preseason. I, yeah, I did see a little bit more of some of their shapes and uh, a little bit more of the combinations that they're working on. And people tonight would have seen what I've been saying, how crucial Jermaine Hopkins good is mm-hmm. with the combinations that link role that he can play the the offloads that he's got in him but you also saw a mix of where he's able to make that select decision is he going to tuck the ball under the arm and take on the defense is he is he going to look for an early offload uh not even an offload just a link yeah, or maybe ball. get that get that late ball away when he's in contact. So, yeah, a lot that I saw individually that I liked, a lot that I saw as a team without them giving away too much. And, uh, yeah, it was just – it was enjoyable to watch. I'm not going to get carried away with what I saw. Obviously, I think we need to do a lot more to be able to beat the storm in round one. We've got some injuries to overcome now. You mentioned the downside about that, and we already went into the match down on troops – we don't want to go too further down, do we? No, especially in the positions where we keep getting the injuries uh, in the outside backs and in the back row where our stocks are already perilously thin because of suspension and other injuries. And we'll just talk with that now. Let's start there because the big concern out of this game, of course, being Sean Lane, the part of the field very early in the piece. And what looked to be a blood bin initially, but then it was quickly revealed on replay there being a bit of a head knock, which is threatened to uh, point towards a fractured jaw. Uh, and I think that the early feedback... Yeah, are we talking, are we talking fractured jaw or cheekbone, do you think? It, it, the initial feedback on the telly was jaw, but it, it's always hard to tell because the trainer has a towel on the face and you can't really see exactly where the point of contact was. Uh, either way, you're probably looking at a four- to six-week window if it is fractured, depending on the severity, which could be worse, could be maybe on the... I wouldn't say better than four weeks. Uh, that would probably be a best-case scenario, but maybe four to eight weeks on a bad case. 
So you have to just wait and see now. And Lane's so good for this team. His combination with Dylan is just so consistent and his ability to both be a workhorse and an impact player is very unique as an edge player. Yeah, now we had BA confirm before the match how Cardi has been out with a broken jaw for the uh, latter part of the preseason. That was something that happened in the early section of the preseason. Now, this is gives me a an opportunity, of course, to have that disclaimer where, yes, we there are injuries that we are aware of that happen during training, but one of the I, I guess one of the areas in which we are trusted in being at, at, at training is not reporting on everything that we see. And if there's injuries, I'm not going to go reporting on injuries because it's got nothing to do with me. And it's got nothing to do with the Cumberland throw and it's all within the eels. And if they're... I mean, I especially if I speculated on injuries that I saw, you can imagine what that would be like. Yeah. It's yeah. it's not our place to speculate on injuries. We found out uh, some time ago about it, uh, about it being a, uh, a broken jaw that Cardi had, but as I think BA has indicated that he's expected back pretty soon. Now, if we use, he's been he will have been something like about seven to eight weeks. Maybe by the time round one comes around that that injury occurred. And um, so if that's the case, if he's ready round one, whether he's selected in New South Wales Cup or or uh, for the NRL remains to be seen. But whenever he comes back playing, you, you basically, if it's round one, you're basically looking, as I said, at about seven or eight weeks and healing he, time. So if we use that as a timeline for He could very much Sean be Lane. in the mix, given that Lane is likely out and he was just stretch fin at that position with Ryan Madison also not eligible for selection. Even though he's more of a middle these days, he can still be used on the edge. Uh, but you have to wait and see what the results say for Lane. And he wasn't alone in terms of getting nicked up in this game. Matt Dury had a scary moment where he had a whiplash sort of injury of a player swinging around on the tackle, catching him on the inside of his right ankle and rolling it over. Uh, but thankfully, even with the news that we got after, that seems to point towards him being okay for round one. An injury on the outside of your ankle is generally better than an injury on the inside of your ankle uh, in broad strokes. Oh, so. is that, would you say that the injury came about, and I'm asking you almost to be the NRL physio here, are you saying that the injury came about more as a it's a, it's a collision injury rather than a... A structural injury? Yeah, well, it was a function of just like some external force being applied in a neutral position. He was just literally standing there waiting for the next play and sort of got swung around. So he wasn't applying much force in an, in an action himself, which would have mitigated a lot of the potential damage. And I happened to watch the game with my brother, who's an exercise uh, uh, exercise physio, uh, exercise physio, something like that. Essentially, tangential to being a physio. So he was uh, pretty on the spot when it came to evaluating that injury when it, when it happened. And then sure enough, the sort of message from the sideline was that he'd rolled his ankle a bit, but it should be fine for round one, which is good news because uh, I thought Matt Dory was very solid in this game, bagged himself a try, ran some really nice lines down that right edge, uh, looking very good alongside Mitchell Moses. And then the final piece, Zach Sini, uh copped a, what looked to be both a late and also just a violent hit. Uh, one, like one part of it catching a bit high, I think, and the other part also just hitting him hard in the ribs in the two-man tackle. And he was very dusty after that and had to push through 
And I think he showed a lot of, uh, I suppose, uh, grit in doing that because he was quite clearly uh, inconvenienced and we're not sure what the damage is. I think the uh, initial speculation from the sideline was rib cartilage. You have to wait and see what that means for him. Oftentimes with rib cartilage injuries, you can play through them, but they're incredibly painful. And it's just, yeah. there's, there's not much you can do in terms of healing because rib cartilage isn't like most other injuries. It's just going to take time regardless of whether you're playing or not. It just seemed to be one of those games where you felt that someone or multiple people were going to get banged up. It, it, it had that, I don't know, it just, the tackles had that awkward feel about them. The collisions had an awkward feel about yeah, them. Yeah, New, Newcastle were pretty violent, like not, not in terms of high shots, but they were very aggressive in the first half. They were chasing the collision. They were really aggressive in defence, pinning the eels deep inside their uh, half, often in their red zone as they were working off yeah. the goal line. So they, they came out really fired up, uh, but you could see the quality or difference in quality between the two teams as the game wore on. Parramatta's ability to be able to dig deep and grind uh, both through their forward pack and through the outstanding kicking game of Mitchell Moses, who managed to hit a 20-40 with an absolute gale in his face, uh, which, you know, maybe not fully in control of that kick necessarily, but he executed it uh, pretty well regardless. So, yeah, the, the Eels showing their class in this game, even with the attrition kicking in. Jiramon here getting thrown into the mix very early because of that injury to Sean Lane. Uh, I won't say he had a great game 60s, uh, but I think the weight of his work was vastly improved from what we saw last week. There was one offload, which I don't even know if it was forward. It was a real line ball call. It could have been let go, honestly, uh, where Quinton Gufferson was calling for it that went against him. But uh, I did think he did a much better job this week. Uh, what were your thoughts on Wamasia coming into the game unexpectedly? Well, I agree with you. It was a better performance this week. And with that offload, whether it was forward or not, it was just a poorly judged to be trying it, it there. It didn't help that Guffer was sort of clapping for it um, behind him, sort of encouraging it. But yeah, uh, it, it wasn't a great shot no. call in the context of where he was, what the tackle count was, given how early it was. But yeah, it was, it was a sort of effort that hasn't catapulted him back up the selection charts for me, but has him back in the mix as a benchy, especially if the injuries. Um, I think I think that's the valid point, is that right at the moment with the depth being tested, last week you would have almost argued, even though it wasn't a trial, you would have almost argued that the less than stellar performance might have played himself completely out of calculations for the seventeen. And then you would have said that tonight's performance may have restored some of the faith because, as I said, it was a real battle between he and um, uh, Matt Dury for the for that, that right, right, right edge. spot. Yeah, yeah. And I, Matt Dury, was a shoe in for the whole part, first part of the preseason. Then post Christmas, we saw Momosia start to stake his claim. And then it flipped again last week. But you would have said this week that I think Dury did everything that was expected of him. You had Momosia improve, and, and I think it's great that he improved because it does give that option that, hey, okay, if we're going to lose Lane, then maybe Momosia can can do a job on the uh, on that right edge. So, mm-hmm. uh, and we because we know as well that. Tony Mattaelli is on a development contract, so it probably doesn't matter how well he plays. If he's not upgraded, he doesn't get to 
have selection in the NRL until after round 10. So that's, yeah, look, my, so as far as I'm concerned, yeah, much improved performance from Monmasia. Uh, beyond that, mate, the, the take that I want to give as well is just a, a little bit of an insight as to maybe the team's headspace this week. When I watched their captain's run on Wednesday, it was, you always get at the captain's run, uh, people that haven't been there before. The players, as they warm up, they have a bit of music going on. It's, uh, you might hear a bit of banter as they're getting ready to go on out onto the field to warm up. And they've really had a pre-season where I think it's been all about business. Like, there hasn't been too much banter at all. Not that I've witnessed anyway. But, man, they were going. <laughs> they were really enjoying themselves and, and quite relaxed before the captain's run on Wednesday. Uh, lots of laughter. There was an air horn that was being discharged at different times. And I thought to myself, gee, you know what? They're in a really relaxed headspace before this trial. And I thought, I think given how the preseason went, that it was, I thought, quite an intense preseason because it was short and they had to get stuck in a business. I didn't mind seeing it this week. And I think when you saw Guth the camera grabbed Gutherson and Moses on the sideline after Lumi Lumi scored, and you could see them really enjoying themselves sitting there on the sideline. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what, they're just in a, they're in a relaxed headspace for this week. And I think they needed it with the trial. I, I don't think you, I don't think it serves anyone well to get themselves into a, um, a tense, yeah. any tension, any level of yeah. tension. This about isn't the trial. a this isn't a team that should be sweating about trials. They're confident in their identity. They know who they are. This isn't you know. You look at some of the other teams that are outside the eight, like our opponents, Newcastle, the West Tigers, the Dolphins, and new franchise. These are all teams clawing to find their identity. They need to use these trials as a springboard to something greater. Whereas Parramatta are a very settled outfit, even with the new acquisitions and replacement players coming in from last season. Uh, and yeah, it's no surprise they entered this game so relaxed 60s. And yeah, your your news there doesn't surprise me in the least. And you know what? I think when it comes to how they... You, you spoke there about their team identity and... Um, it showed they didn't get, they were the sort of team that didn't get phased by things not going the way they would have ideally liked it last week. No. Like they they weren't dwelling on that. And I think you got a bit of an insight from Mitch Moses post-match when they had the discussion with him about uh, Hodgson and that he might have overplayed his hand a bit last week. And we, we called that. And, but we also spoke about, did the runners do their job? last week we got into that in our uh, instant reaction and i think we called that there were times where the, the halves and the dummy half le were left looking a little bit stranded and they looked like they were slow and i'm not going to deny that i still can't i still can't back away that they did look slow last week but i don't think they were helped by the runners not hitting the holes as they should, especially in the first half. And we saw in the second half of that trial against uh, Penrith that the likes of Tony Mattaielli and Matt Dury hit those runners' holes a lot better than what was happening in the first half. 
and it it made all the difference in terms of what our attack looked like. We, had, we looked like we could throw a bit of attack in that second half last week. This week, oh, oh, and then of course, so Mitch Moses in that interview, he said, "I think uh, you know Hodgson was left a bit, you know." <sighs> His runners basically didn't do the job, and he yeah. said we talked about that in the video review. Mm-hmm. And I think that says a lot about what happened last week. It was a trial; it didn't they didn't need to stress too much about it. They reviewed it, well, they which looked is why what they needed to do a bit better. They did it better tonight. It's why so. neither of us were freaking out about the intercept last week, because yeah. yes, you know, you can argue about Hodgson overplayed his hand, but like we said, the structurally the play wasn't a hundred percent, which made it so easy to make the read. Lo and behold, this week, you know, he wasn't a superstar out there. Very tidy, though. Nearly kicked the 40-20. Had the eels on the front foot throughout most of the game. Played really solid. Uh, I mean, you could make a point that, not just him, but there was a couple of players that got a bit beaten on that uh, big Greg Marju break, which led to the second try to Bradman Best. Uh, but outside of that, that was probably the only real negative from this game, for Josh Hodgson, yeah. at least. Um, yeah, well, I think you can almost put down half the team for a miss on was, either Marzu or Best, couldn't yeah, you? it wasn't our, our finest moment. The first try, of course, being scored down what was ostensibly our reserve-grade backline uh, between Zach Sini and Isaac Lumi Lumi. And big Dom Young's always going to be hard to stop in those sort of one-on-one situations. So I wasn't particularly upset about the first try being bled there. Also came on the back of a massive string of possession for the Newcastle Knights between penalties and six against. I think they had four or five sets in a row there. So, you know, no surprise seeing a first-grade team convert that sort of opportunity into points. Outside of that, though, the Eels are really solid. Yeah, there were some missed tackles. You expect that in a trial. Uh, we, we worked our big boys for good minutes. Both Junior and Reg uh, played well over a half of football starting. Uh, Jermaine Hopkins, we already praised him in the prelude 60s. He was very good, uh, both as a ball runner, ball distributor, and an offloader. Helped set up that try to Matt Dury in the opening stanza. Looked threatening all the time, heavily involved in defence as well. Speaking back roles, though, uh, we had our first look at Jack Murchie this week, and he lived up to some of your billings from the preseason training reports. I thought he was very good off the bench, cracked 100 metres, played both in the middle and on the edge where he scored a nice try, running off the hick, uh, off the hick, off the hip of Jake Arthur. You talk about your runners supporting your ball players. Well, there was a prime example right there. And he's going to be a man that is very important to our first month of footy because, like we said, the stocks in the back row are starting to run a bit thin, but he's hit the ground running. Yeah, would you – I mean, look, this week you mentioned Jake just then. Some of the criticism and abuse that he copped last week, it harkened back to last year, didn't it? Like just the over-the-top garbage that, that goes his way. And tonight he's running basically the – same plays, he's playing flat at the line, and he's got this time he's got runners hitting holes. And what do you know? Try assist. <laughs> it's you know, it, and but I still would say there's aspects about Jake's play that I think have, in my mind, I, I still look that he's a potential back rower. You see, I was talking to, like I said, I watched this game for my brother. And we're just chatting, and you see shades of Isaiah Yo in how he can sort of distribute the ball before the line and be that extra playmaking threat. So if he can really fill out that frame, you know, not to say he can be as good as Yo, who is the premier lock in the game. That's a huge bar to try and reach. But there are similarities, I think, there that you can potentially look to explore. 
Yeah, and and sorry, by back row, I I was talking in the old sense of the of the lock position. I mean, we I should really be saying uh, lock middle now, but yeah, he's he has that element about his play that he's a big body. Jake is a big body, and he's going to fill that out. He's only just turned 20 at the end of last year. And please bear that in mind, people, because I was having... There were people making suggestions saying he's not a rookie anymore. The kid's 20 years old and only just turned 20 years old. So every first-grade game that he's played has been as a as a teenager. So... And most of... A lot of those games, he's been coming on as a replacement. So, look, he's still a rookie. He's still learning his craft. But... As I said, I, there's still parts of his his physique and the way that he plays where I think to myself, yes, you've got all the skills of a halfback and, yes, I still rate you as a halfback, but your frame, I still think it's not out of the realms of possibility that, mate, you could end up it's as not, a lock middle. I mean, it's not but, too dissimilar to another Parramatta player right now in Ryan Madison, isn't it? Coming through, oh, yeah. coming through the grades, played halves, very good playmaker. Ryan Madison was a very good halfback when he was playing or, or 5'8", interchangeably. 5'8". Yeah, coming through the then uh, Holden Cup, I believe it was. Uh, but the reality is when you get that big, uh, it's hard to stay in the mould of a halfback. And oftentimes there's going to be better opportunities to develop into a back rower with some real plus ball playing skills. Yeah, and we should clarify for people that maybe don't get to the football these days and don't really pay attention to the size of halves. Yes, halves are bigger than they ever were before. A lot of the halfbacks yeah, are getting they're, they're regularly over one, 180 centimetres, six foot thereabouts. But yeah. in saying that, last year, Jake was built at 188 centimetres and it felt like he had a growth spurt in the middle of that year. So I wouldn't yes. be surprised if he's close to the tipping 190 when you put yeah. him up against the measuring tape. And obviously there's still some filling in to do because he'd probably be just shy of the 90 kilo mark. And if you're going to be a back row, you've got to be probably just shy of the 100-kilo mark, if not over it. Uh, yeah. But uh, like you said, at 20 years of age, there's plenty of time to put on the KGs. We've seen a lot of players you know, sort of really fill out in 22, 23. You look at Hayes Dunster, right? He was uh, not a string bean, but it, it took him that extra year in the COVID break to really reach that ideal size as a winger. Yeah, so I think Hayes himself is in the – he might be in the high 90s now. Yeah. Is, uh, that he tips the scales at, and yeah, Jake's probably around that six foot three, six foot four mark. So when I was saying before that halfbacks are around the six foot mark, he's he's that and more now. He's he's up around that six three, six four mark. I think he's very comfortably staying around that ninety ninety one kilo mark, something like that at the moment. So yeah, another year of. Um, I'm in the gym and uh, working on his size. Uh, who knows? But I guess that comes down to what's his goal there. Yeah. If his goal is to play in the halves and continue to develop there, and he does a lot of work with Trent Barrett, so he's uh, if his goal is to remain in the halves, then that's that's him setting that. If he if his goal is to move towards the forwards, well. You know, I guess we might get an indication of that this year, depending what positions that he plays during in the years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but mo- moving on, but mate, to the the form of our the others in our spine, I thought that 
we got a reminder tonight just about the speed of Mitch Moses and Dylan Brown. Yeah. Uh, We are talking elite That That combination play where they put uh, Calum Ponger on the highlight reel for all the wrong reasons was beautiful. Moses just – he was very aggressive down the short side in this game. I loved it. Uh, Seeing him really, you know, test the Knights down there, uh, weaker side or the weaker side in terms of numbers. And he really, you know, plundered them for the maximum – Maximum reward there in that particular case where he ran it, dummy past Ponga, and just Dylan Brown coming from the clouds on the other side of the field to link up for the try. That was just classic sort of Moses-Brown combination, wasn't it? Absolutely. And, you, I mean, how valuable is it to have halves who have the running game that those two players do? Now, don't get me wrong. You, you need all that game management as well. But I guess in this year... And, and possibly next year as well, with Hodgson being around uh, for two years, you've got some very good organising players inside both Moses and Brown when you're talking about Hopgood and Hodgson. They really provide a different platform for what's happening with uh, the, the next ball out to Moses and Brown. They, they can create a different sort of space. Before with Reed Marnie, we relied on that big wide pass. I think what we're seeing with this now, I've seen Hodgson throw the big wide pass at training. However, we're seeing that role that Hopgood can play as that link man. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not going to get carried away from the trials, but. I'm seeing a little bit more in this trial of what I've seen during preseason training. So I'm, I am drawing a, a, a comparison between what they've been practicing and what they executed tonight. It's not all, everything that they've been practicing, but they had a, just a little bit more that I could see. And, and so, really when you run your eyes over this team list, none of the numbers are that eye catching. Uh, I think Reg topping the running count at 143 meters you know, a number of the backs over 100 metres, Hopgood, Murchie over 100 in the forwards. So it wasn't really a, a dominant statistical performance despite the scoreboard sort of pointing towards it, but there were so many solid performances. You know, we mentioned the spine, the two playmakers in the front line, very good. Uh, we already talked about Josh Hodgson. Quentin Gufferson, likewise, he had a nice game. Uh, Will Penasini and Zach Sini in the centres were very tidy, uh, both being strong on the ground and defensively for the most part. Uh, Russell was very good on one wing. Uh, shame he didn't back himself on that intercept. I still think he would have been caught, but probably would have got another 20, 25 metres. But yeah, he pulled up pretty early. Uh, but outside of that, he was very good. And then we had Isaac Lumi-Lumi on the other side, being solid, uh, if not spectacular, If sorry, solid but not spectacular, on the other side up until he scored that try. I think he did a decent job, nothing outrageous. But then, you know, Junior, Reg, Matt Dury, Jermaine Hopgood, Jack Murchie. I thought Makatoa and Greg, uh, they didn't get huge minutes, but they did their jobs, got the go forward going there. And then outside of that top 17, no one really starred, but no one did a bad job in terms of the Reggies. Um, yeah, I think I think basically what you saw from the players outside the top 17 is that they came on and they did a job and they stuck. Hmm. They stuck to what they were asked to do and probably not much more, but they didn't have to do much more because by that stage, the Knights had their players outside the top 17 that were out there. And, yeah, I, I thought they, the, the Knights 
did a reasonable job as well, the ones that came on to the field. You know, they asked a few questions in attack. I think the difference between Parramatta last week and this week, there's quite a few differences, but (laughs) in general, what made it, what made it entertaining from my perspective is that we asked a few more questions and the genuine chances that we got, we iced. So when you say no one really stood out, no one had big running meters or, or any massive stats that said, Oh, look, this is, yeah, this, this is the statistical star of the match. I think players just filled, did their role as they needed to. Mitch Moses was probably the best player on the field tonight. Sure, didn't look they, like a man troubled by his contract negotiations. No, no. And I've said to you before, I think it's the best that I've seen him train in this preseason. I, I, and I'm not backing away from that. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I think the players just knew their role, did filled their role as they should. And as I said, those scoring opportunities that they had, they iced them. And you don't have to... It it wasn't like a game where, you know, there's line breaks here, there and everywhere and you get frustrated because they didn't convert this chance or that chance or whatever or or panicked through a pass that they, they shouldn't have. They just, you know, when they got that opportunity, as I said, they scored and... It was just good to watch, and it's as simple as that. That's I said to you before. I just want to enjoy watching the footy. That's when true. We, when we were talking in the preview, you, you, you did put that on record. Yeah. So, uh, mate, I enjoyed the footy. Yeah. What do you know? I I, I can put if I put down um, uh, the um, what what my um, goals were for the match, then I get the tick. Enjoyed the match. That's all I needed to do. I fulfilled my role. What about you, mate? What was your What was your role? To take well, a few notes for us. To I talk did. About? I did have the seven things to watch uh, preview yes. article on this thing, and I did finish it off by saying, uh, you know, escape this game with no injuries. So unfortunately, in that regard, the Eels did not get out of this unscathed. Sean Lane potentially a massive loss for the Eels, especially when you consider that Ryan Madison is not eligible for selection. It's going to be interesting to see how they cover that. Does Jeremiah Sia start on the left edge? Does Jack Murchie shift from being the bench sort of super utility in the back row to being a starting edge player? He looks pretty sharp down the left edge off that Jake Arthur short pass. So they've got options there. Uh, it's not like, you know, it's complete doom and gloom, but Sean Lane is a significant loss. There's no try, uh, no point trying to, you know, pretend it isn't. But yeah. out, outside of that, I did like some of the growth I've seen on an individual basis. Sean Russell's had a very strong preseason uh, obviously, in the forwards, you've got Jermaine Hopgood and Jake, uh, Jake Josh Hodgson, uh, you know, fitting into the new club. So I've been quite happy with what we've seen uh, today. And I, we sort of head towards round one where I am confident we're going to give the Storm a real shake because they aren't free of injuries themselves. Uh, they're, they're far from full strength, I think, heading into this game. I think they're looking at, I, I don't know what's up with Ryan Pappenhausen, but he's probably out. Uh, and I believe that the centre. Uh, I always, I, always Justin Justin. I always forget his name. Justin Allen. I always forget his name. Just like, like when I'm not recording, I remember it. When I'm recording, I forget it. It's an incredible thing. I believe Allen. Mate, you might be you might be getting um, a little bit of an issue of old man symptoms like me. Oh, I got Olamitis. It's, it's, it's just young, Justin Allen. It's not any other player. It's just Justin Allen. It's like the third time in a podcast this has happened. Uh, it, it is always him. So I'm sorry to Justin, but 
for whatever reason, you have an incredibly forgettable name when it comes to my particular memory. Uh, but yeah, so they're, you don't they're, want to go down the path of a tattoo, so you don't forget. <laughs> just get one. I've got the old uh, uh, wardrobe mirror to my right as I'm recording on my computer, so I just get it in reverse. So when I look in the mirror, I can see it, you know, uh, played out correctly in the reflection. Uh, so yeah, so uh, you have to assure people this isn't some bizarre man yeah, crush. This this mol this molar tattoo is actually uh, oh, no sorry what would be Marlow tattoo is actually just known. Uh, <laughs> but yes, so it, the Eels will be taking on the Melbourne Storm, pitting two massive streaks against each other. Uh, come round one, obviously Melbourne's incredible. What is it? Two decade reign of round one victories on the Craig Bellamy. It's got something be, insane. something like that uh, with the Eels. Uh, pitting two streaks, one minor, one major against Melbourne. Obviously, their three-game streak against the Storm, which is fairly unprecedented when it comes to a Bellamy-led team in general. But more importantly, having been inside the top eight every round since the beginning of uh, 2019, season 2019. So one team has to lose the streak one way or another, whether it's win, lose, or draw. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see which team comes out on top. Hopefully, it's the Parramatta Eels. That obviously kicks off, what, Thursday week now, 60s? It's just around the corner. 2nd of March, we're going to have a lot of prep work leading into that. We're going to be involved with the actual game day activities. Uh, but until then, anything else you want to wrap up in this game? Mate, look, I guess without diving too far back into, uh, too deep into it, yes, I have the I have the concern now around the edges because we need centres back and we need back rowers, the edge back rowers back. And it's... Mm, one, yeah, I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't call it a silver lining, but one thing that did pop up in the coverage was that Mike Acevo had a knock to his knee, and the report from the coaching staff to the Foxtel staff was that they're expecting him back for round one. So if Wanga and Micah are back, that goes a long way towards filling out the back line. In fact, it gives us a relatively full-strength back line, given that Sean Russell has emerged as a premier candidate in his own right, rather than just being a replacement guy. Uh, so that gives you a, close to a full-strength back line, if not a full-strength back line, which then sort of only leaves the back row as the and, – and I suppose the two uh, extra spots on the bench in terms of who's going to win those supporting middle roles. And right now, would you have Greg and Makatoa there or does Bryce Cartwright figure as a potential starter on the edge to push Momosia back into that middle rotation? I don't know. Yeah, it becomes really, really problematic, doesn't it? It's – do we do we end up seeing Jake Arthur in the 14 jersey again because of the fact that he can still play a New South Wales Cup game a couple of days later and that they have him as cover for any potential injury that might occur out there? Or is there someone else that's got utility value that can be out there and cover injury to both the, the backs and the forwards? I... I, I don't know. Um, I, you know, I thought I'd picked the team. I, I gave it a crack a couple of weeks ago. I'd like to think that I was on the money in my thoughts about Sean Russell being a, a definite within the team. I believe I was on the money with Jack Murchie and I, there was nothing that I saw tonight that uh, made me think otherwise. I pushed for Matt Dury ahead of uh, Momosia but I had Momosia on the bench now. So does Momosia come onto that bench and then he becomes he becomes that utility who can mm. cover the backs or the forwards like Murata Nikore. Did he do enough tonight to instill the confidence 
of the coaches again. So uh, plenty that's going to play out. It's going to be interesting watching training over the next couple of weeks because we're going to start to see what the coach's thinking is. But are we going to see that straight away next week or am I going to have to wait the following week because it really becomes a race against the clock with a couple of injuries? So it'll be it'll be very very interesting so uh not that i can report on those things that i see a training anymore because it's it's out of the pre-season it's match prep i'm not going to give i can't give any um it's almost like i would be spying for the opposition or or for media (laughs) if i'm out there and i'm telling you don't need what's going on at this time of during the year when they're preparing for matches yeah exactly No, no so mate look it, it's big times ahead. We're going to uh, stick with TCT, however, because we're we're going to start moving towards the three podcasts a week. We'll be involved, as Forty just said, with match day against the Storm. Uh, look for a few changes in uh, in around what happens with the podcast at Parramatta Leagues Club. So we're just in uh, discussions with the club about how that's going to proceed this year. It's going to be uh, exciting. It might be a few, the hint is it might happen a few more times. So maybe start to think what might that mean if we're there around every home match. Yeah, exactly. How how is it possible if we're there around every home match that it might happen a, a little bit more often? So um, that's uh, that's a little teaser there about our discussions with the club at the moment. Uh, we will have, of course, the crystal ball post, mate. Where we we go for our our top eight, our uh, our bolter, our falter, our spoon tips. So that will be coming. We're going to uh, be relaunching some of our legend interviews and uh, on our YouTube channel. So stick with that. Uh, just a lot to look forward to. And then of course, once we move into match week into our uh, our big team list Tuesdays and previews and instant reactions and the grades and um, from the stands, the, the whole works with TCT, mate. So a lot to look forward to. Thank you to everyone who's been visiting during the preseason. You have visited in record numbers. It is ever. absolutely astonishing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We can say that about ourselves. The biggest preseason ever because we've had the biggest January we've ever had. And February, we've been averaging well over 3,000 site visits per day. So we're heading for obviously a record February. But I tell you what, if the short month of February cracks the biggest month of all time, if it surpasses January, that will be absolutely amazing. So stick with us. It's a great start to the year on TCT. We're really enjoying it. We're looking forward to the season ahead. Thank you for, for being there and visiting in such record numbers over the summer break. Mate, all I've got to say right at the moment is go you eels. Go you bloody eels. Thanks for stopping by and listening to us ramble after another post-game reaction. It's been an absolute blast, 60s. Great to put a wrap on the preseason. Shame to lose Sean Lane for what looks to be at least an extended amount of time. But I am pumped to see the Eels taking on the Storm in round one. Can't wait to catch you guys before then in the next episode of The Tip Sheet.